be thankful for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. Go ahead and get at your Bibles, church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, whether digital or analog, to Ephesians chapter 5. And we are in week two of our series called Thanksgiving. Tis the season to be thankful. But does it seem like right now in our culture that there seems to be a lot of things happening where people are actually not thankful? Doesn't it seem like right now there actually may even be more complaining than there is Thanksgiving. One of the things that my wife and I try to teach our kids all the time is that they may not get what they want, but they can always be thankful for what they have. And doesn't it seem like sometimes we can focus on all the things that are broken or wrong instead of being thankful for what we have and for what is good? In the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul paints this wonderful picture of what Christ has done for us. And he paints this wonderful picture about what it means to be thankful to Christ because of what he has done. In fact, the Ephesian church, if they looked at the culture around them, there was a lot of things that they could have complained about, a lot of things that they could have not been thankful for. But Paul challenges them because of what Jesus has done, that even with the culture around them, they can find a way to be thankful In fact, I know I just told you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, but would you flip back over to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at the way that Paul begins this letter right from the gate, right at the beginning. He says to this church in Ephesus, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as his sons through Jesus Christ. Now, pause right there for a moment. Look back at what Paul says. He says that he chose us. Church, have you ever thought about the fact that God chose us? you, that he determined that this would be the time and season where you would be born, this would be the time and season where you would live, and that he would know everything about you. He would know the mistakes that you were going to make. He would know the the times when you were going to let anger or even anxiety rule your heart or rule your life. 
He would even know that the deepest, darkest thoughts or actions that maybe nobody else knows that you would commit. He would know every single thing about you. But yet he still chose you. He still chose to make you. He still chose to send Jesus, who is God, to die on the cross for you, to provide a way for your sins to be forgiven, to provide a way for you to be reconciled to him. He still chose you to send Jesus, who is God, to die on the cross, and then three days later, bodily rise from the dead so you could have a relationship with him. Even though he know everything about you, God still chose you. And if he did nothing else, that would be enough. But Paul says God didn't stop there. In fact, not only did he choose you, he adopts you into his family. And Paul says, look, he gives you every spiritual blessing that comes with that. In fact, later on in this letter in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it would even say that God wants to do exceedingly more than we could hope or imagine according to his power at work in us. So this thing, not only did he choose us, adopts us into his family, he gives us every spiritual blessing. There's so much that God wants to do in you and through you. He does so much more than we can hope or imagine. Church, this is a simple reminder that, look, even though we just finished this series called An Open Door, talking about the power of the gospel, we still need the reminder of the gospel every single day. You still need Jesus. You need to be like him. You still need to follow him. Whether you've been walking with him for a few months or for 50 years, you still need the reminder of the gospel every single day. You know, I know the Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. He was a sinner just like you and me. But through the Holy Spirit, there were times that he had the right perspective. There were times that he, he, he had so many things right. And even though he could have complained about some things or been angry about some things, he had the right perspective. In fact, there are four books in the New Testament that are called the prison epistles. Do you guys know what those four books of the Bible in the New Testament are called that are the prison epistles? Anybody know what those are? I was going to give you like $1,000 if you could say it right out loud. Okay, here's what they are, okay? It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. In fact, um, way back in my earlier days, somebody taught me an easy way to memorize those four books of the Bible, the prison, prison epistles, and they taught me to, me to say, go eat popcorn. I don't know why you, know, you wouldn't want to eat popcorn in prison, I guess, but just an easy way to remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are the prison epistles. In fact, this letter to the Ephesians that we're looking at today, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. You know, I love what Pastor Aaron said last week when he said that, a lot of times, we actually try to picture ourselves when we're reading the Bible, we try to picture ourselves in the in light of the most positive aspect of the story or the positive character in the story. We try to picture ourselves as the Apostle Paul as we're reading this. But if you were writing, if you were in prison and you were writing a letter to a church, would you actually write to this church and encourage them just like how Paul is doing? Would you write them and tell them, look, you have every spiritual blessing in the Lord. If you were in prison right now, would you be writing them from the perspective, encouraging them and reminding them that they are a masterpiece, like Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? Would you be writing them from prison and encouraging this church and reminding them that, look, because of Christ, every wall has been torn down. 
that there's reconciliation available for every ethnic group because of the gospel? Would you be reminding them and that they can be thankful because God wants to do exceedingly more than they can hope or imagine? If you were in prison right now, would you have the same perspective as the Apostle Paul challenging this church to be ready to give thanks in anything and in everything? But forget about prison. What about your life right now? What about your life right now with the job that you're in right now? With inflation on the rise, gas prices at $3.50 per gallon, a two-liter bottle of soda now almost $4 in the store. Right now, would you be riding from the same perspective? What about with your relationship status it is with the way it is right now? Maybe you're single. Maybe you're looking to mingle. Maybe you're married. Maybe you don't want to be married anymore. Maybe you're divorced. Right now, with your relationship status the way that it is, would you have this perspective to be thankful? Or would your life instead be full of complaints? Do you find yourself right now in your life with a life that's full of thanksgiving? Or is it one that is full of complaints? I titled today's message, Thankful. Not because I don't know how to spell the word thankful, okay? I know how to spell it, T-H-A-N-K-F-U-L. Don't send me an email, okay? I know how to spell the word. But Paul right here, in this letter, and where we're going to be today in Ephesians chapter 5, he helps this church realize and to think about their perspective. Because they could focus on every single thing that's broken. But instead, because of the overwhelming grace of God, because of everything that Jesus has done. They can live lives that are instead full of thanksgiving. They can live lives that are full of grace. And Paul wants to even challenge us today, and the Lord wants to challenge us through his word that we can too have these lives that can be filled, that can be full of thankfulness to the Lord. Now, this is also a reminder today that we as Christians, those of us who are already followers of Jesus, that we are not these happy, clappy type of Christians, okay? We don't ignore our problems. We don't put on fake smiles, but we remember that we want to be authentic followers of Jesus. That means that even in trials, we can still find joy. That means that even though we go through trials, it doesn't mean that we will not go through trials. It means that even through pain, we can persevere. It means that even in weakness, we can find power in his grace. And when tensions in life are so thick on us because the world is weighing on us, we don't have to be complaintful, but we can be thankful. We can still live in the overflow of thankfulness because of what Christ has done for us. So come on, church, right now, is your life full of complaining or is it full of thanksgiving? In fact, I want to highlight three ways here that Paul shows us on how we can be thankful. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, how do you be thankful? Here's the first way, write this down. Look where you are going. You gotta look where you're going. In fact, will you help me just teach this point to the person sitting next to you? Uh, Would you turn to the person sitting next to you and would you just say to them, say, hey, you look good this morning. Now tell them, look where you're going and slap them one time, okay? I said one time, one time, calm down, all right? We don't promote violence in church, okay? Look at verse 15 again. Man, Paul says, look, what's that word there? Carefully. Look carefully where you are going. Look carefully then how you walk. Again, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because these days are evil. Church, what I'm about to tell you is not a surprise to anyone, but before Christ returns or before we go to be with him, we will continue to experience evil here on earth because the days are evil. Because right now we do live in a broken world because of sin. That that reference right there, that phrase that says the days are evil in its simplest form is a reference to people who are out of alignment with God's kingdom agenda, ignoring the gospel or being disobedient to Christ. Paul says to be wise in how you're going through this life because the influence of a broken world can weigh on you. It can even begin to lead you. He says that there is a better way to not walk unwisely, but instead to walk wisely, making the best use of your time. Right now, church, Sometimes we actually will miss godly opportunities because we actually choose foolish ones. And sometimes you just have to stop and see which direction your life is heading. So today, Sunday, November 13th, 2022, what direction is your life heading? Sometimes you got to pause and really evaluate, is your life heading in the very direction that you want it to be? But an even better question to ask is, is your life heading in the direction that the Holy Spirit wants it to go? So many times we can end up so much further than we ever wanted to be away from where we intended or even from where God intended us to be. And Paul says, look carefully where you walk. Look where you're going. In fact, I I thought I would just share with you maybe a couple questions to ask when you're thinking about where your life is and even to take a moment right now and evaluate which direction your life is heading. So here are some questions to ask when you're thinking about where your life is going right now in this moment. The first question is, who is influencing me? Right now in this season, who are some of the biggest influencers in your life? You know, I've heard it said that you are probably most like the five people who are the closest to you. So those people who are the closest to you, are they, are they going in the direction that you want to see your life go in? And are those people leading you further to Christ or further away from him? 
And I know I'm about to sound like an old man up here, okay? But if your number one influence is a social media influencer, you need a better influence. You need to find someone who will mentor you in the things of God. Someone who will meet with you personally and disciple you and mentor you and show you what it means to truly follow Christ. And while I'm I'm meddling in people's business, and again, you can send me an email later, but if your number one influence is the news, you need to look where you're going. Have you ever thought about how the media has an agenda? Have you ever thought about one of the main things that they want to do is to make money? And one of the things that the media wants to do to make money is to tap into fear and anger in everyone. In fact, did you know that right now today, according to the FAA, you know how many planes are going to fly in the air today that the FAA is going to somehow manage? Like everything from small planes to big planes to helicopters and any point in between. Today, there's going to be 45,000 airplanes that somehow the FAA is going to manage. You're not going to hear about in the news about Flight 915 that left Atlanta and landed safely down in South Florida. You're not going to hear about the other 44,999 flights in the news that left someplace and landed safely today. But if one crashes, if one skids off the runway, if one has a mechanical failure because gremlins were outside messing with the wires, whatever it is, you're going to hear about that one negative story in the news, because they, they want to tap into your fear and your anxiety and even make you angry. In fact, right now, if, if that is something that is characterizing your life, if that is something where the very direction your life is going, where you're seeing more anger and more anxiety or fear in your life, you may need to look where you're going and see who it is that is influencing you. But also, we need to ask the question, what are my priorities And what is it that's taking up my time? Again, I love Paul because he's writing this from prison and he's under or he's either in a Roman prison or under house arrest by Roman soldiers because of the cause of Christ. And what is he doing while he's either under house arrest or writing this from a prison? He's encouraging the church. He's discipling believers. He's even highlighting the gospel. Now, I know this was partly a priority for him because he was a preacher, a minister, but I think most of us, just like Paul would even say, most of us, if not all of us, would say that we want to live a life that is busy about doing the things that matter the most rather than things that don't. And sometimes we have to even be willing to give up the things in our life that that we simply want for what it is that matters the most. We need to ask the question, look, what are our our priorities? And what is it that's actually taking up a lot of our time? And then the last question to think about, hey, where our lives are going is, 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 is Jesus in any of that? Are we seeking his will and his ways in any of those things? Which leads to the next point that Paul makes right here. Look, not only do we need to look where we're going, but number two, church, write this down. To be thankful, we need to learn the will of the Lord. We need to learn God's will. Again, look what he says in verse 17. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I know sometimes when people start thinking about the will of God, like their, their first thoughts are, look, God, should I marry this specific person? Or did I marry the wrong person? You start thinking, should I take this, this specific job in this exact area at this exact time? People start thinking about the will of God like that. Or they may even be asking God for his will and asking the question, look, God, should I get a dog or a cat? Like some people get so specific even in that. And obviously the answer is for you to get a cat. Let me explain. Okay, this is a side note. This is a bonus in the message today. Um, Have you ever thought about how in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Have you ever looked at Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, where it says that Jesus is the lion of Judah? What What animal family are cats a part of? The lion family. What what animal family are dogs a part of? Yes, the dog family and wolves, the wolf family, which is what he describes as the devil. So if you want to know what God's will is for getting a dog or a cat, you need to get a cat. And by the way, I have a cat that I can give to you this afternoon (laughs) if you want to get that. All right, back to learning about the will of God, okay? We touched on this a little bit when we did our series on prayer a few weeks ago. And we talked about how there's so many things that God has actually made so clear in his word and what it is that he wants you to do. In fact, I know it's kind of cheesy, but when you think about the Bible, some people have said, you know, the B-I-B-L-E, which simply means basic instructions before leaving earth. And I don't know how to make this any more clear, but for you to know the will of God, you have to know the word of God. And you have to get into this word and you have to know it. You have to study it and memorize it and internalize it. You have to know the word of God if you're going to know the will of God. How many of you in here, by show of hands, eat more than once a week? Raise your hand up, okay? Eat more than once a week, okay? I think most people have their hands up. How many would even say, again, by show of hands, how many would even say that you probably eat more than once a day. You eat something or drink something more than once a day. Yeah. In fact, if you didn't do that, if you really did eat only once a week, what would happen to you? You would become malnourished. Man, you would get so sick, you might even die if you only ate once a week. And then at minimum, you're going to be hangry all the time, where you're going to be a pill to be around if you don't eat more than once a week. And see, we know that when it comes to our physical bodies. But what about when it comes to our souls? You can't just eat from God's word once a week on Sunday morning. You need it every day. You can't just eat once a week from God's word or maybe even twice a week if you go to small group. You need it every single day. In fact, some of you right now, you are looking for the will of God. You're trying to learn it, but you're looking in all the wrong places. There's only one place that you can go, and that is with the word of God. To know the will of God, you have to know the word of God. And we need to eat it and consume it multiple times a week, if not even multiple times a day. Church, don't just lean on Sundays, but look to feast on God's word every single day. Get full of it. And see, Paul says, look, even that, that is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to know the word of God and learn the will of God. But he says, you know, we can actually fill up on something else. 
We can fill up on something else that will ultimately lead us to where we don't want to be. Now look what he says again in verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, don't miss this, church, because it's so important how Paul is leading this church to be thankful. And he says, you need to look where you're going. Look, be careful how you walk. Don't be unwise, but be wise in the, in the way that you walk. He says, look, make, make the most of your time because these days are evil. We live in a broken world. And you know, oftentimes, like especially the New Testament writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as they were writing these things down, they, were, they would use this literary technique called juxta, juxta, juxtaposition, where what it is that it holds up two things and helps the reader compare what those two things are and make a choice for themselves. So we see that all throughout the book of Ephesians and particularly right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Look, he says, don't be unwise, but wise. Make the choice for yourself. Look how you're walking. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. You can make the choice for yourself. He holds up these things so you can understand, look, you do have a choice. You do have a choice in the very direction that your life is going. And right here, when he starts talking about this particular thing, he's, he's doing it again. He's helping the people see, look, you do have a choice. He says, look, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, that word debauchery right there, it simply means to overindulge in something, which is leading us to, to surrender control that is not spirit-led. So pretty much debauchery is to overindulge and to surrender control. And here the example that he gives is this excessive drinking, drinking to the point where you are drunk. Now, when someone is drunk, it is obvious, right? Like their, their behavior changes, their language changes, how their acting changes. And for this first century church, this was an obvious example that was so obvious that they would immediately know what it was that he was talking about. To see if someone was drunk on wine, that they have overindulged, that they had surrendered control to what it was that they were drinking. Their very behavior had changed. But I think in our 21st century culture, there's some things that we can overindulge on that at times we don't even realize are changing our behavior. Remember, debauchery is to overindulge and to surrender control. Now, here are a couple of examples that might help us to see if maybe we're in a season right now where we're overindulging and maybe even submitting control. Look, Paul already talked about alcohol, and you could probably put drugs or any other substance up there with it as well. But another way that we typically overindulge is with busyness. Again, church, you need to be careful how you spend your time because you can, be, you can overindulge and being so busy that you get to rest in the way that the Lord has commanded his people to rest. You can overindulge in being so busy that you miss prioritizing what it is that matters the most. And again, you can send me an email about this later, but I just want to say this to you, parents. I know you love your kids. I know that 
the heart behind engaging them in all these different activities is for, to help them have connection and relationship and maybe even to grow their character. I know that is the heart behind it. But are you overindulging in busyness? In fact, if your schedule is so full that literally you have to submit your life to that schedule, it might be time to look where you are going. Don't spend so much time on something that in the end probably won't matter as most as the things that you want to accomplish the most that God wants to do in you and through you. So sometimes we can overindulge in busyness. But see, we can also overindulge in complaining and blaming. And can I just say that right now that that seems to be permeating our culture? So many people overindulge in this, but we don't realize this is actually producing a loss of perspective for us. When you're always blaming someone or complaining about something to everyone else, you're actually losing control for what God wants to grow in you, the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and that self-control. When your perspective is complaining and blaming, you lose perspective on what God wants to do in you. When you overindulge, you're surrendering control to that. And then another thing that, again, has become so common right now in our culture is simply Netflix or binging or whatever streaming service you're on. Don't just overindulge in anything that's streaming in your home. Again, look where you're going. Look what you're watching. For some of us, we don't even realize it, but we have begun to surrender control of of our purity of our mind, of our hearts, to Hulu instead of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, in fact, the best thing that you can maybe even do is to go home today and delete some things out of your queue, delete some things off of your YouTube and confess it to a trusted friend or confess it to your small group. And let this be something that now you submit control to the Lord instead of this company, Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever it is you're into. And then another way that we can often overindulge and submit control is with food. Now, I think oftentimes the church has been so quick to say, look, overindulging in alcohol, bad. Getting drunk, bad, right? And here at, here at Coastal, look, we don't, we don't teach that if you, if you drink so often, it's wrong. Like, we don't, we don't say that, but obviously getting drunk is a sin, um, but so many times, like this in general coast church, look, we'll say, look, if you, if you get drunk, look, that is bad. But hey, on side note, why don't we go ahead and head to Golden Corral? Because that is good. Church, I have confessed to you so many times that this is an area that I personally struggle with. So many times, like I feel like I've engaged in gluttony or overindulging with food or cravings that seek to control me. And that really is on the same level as any other sin. And see, we can't let anything control us. Like we can't overindulge in things and then submit our lives to those things. Look, Paul says, look, don't get drunk on these things. That is debauchery. But he he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Man, let God grow in you what he wants to grow in you. Even that means that you need to get rid of some things, submit some things so that the Holy Spirit can work in you. Look where you're going. Learn what God's will is. 
And to know the will of God, you have to know the word of God. Don't just get drunk or overindulge on these things that are causing you to, to sin. But instead, remember that God wants something so good for you. And then Paul concludes it. Listen to what he says here in verse 18. Going back to verse 18 through 20, he says, And look, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In verse 19, he says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you be thankful? Number three, write this down. Load your life with thankfulness because of Christ. Load your life with thankfulness because of Christ. Look, Paul's writing to this church, this Ephesian church, and he says, look, give thanks in everything. Give thanks always, remembering what it is that Jesus has done for you and what it is he is doing for you. Church, that is the foundation. It's kind of like what Paul would actually say in Romans chapter 5, where he would write in there that we actually need to rejoice in our sufferings. He would say, look, you need to rejoice in your sufferings because God is doing something even when you're going through a challenging time. In fact, even when you're suffering, God is trying to produce endurance, and that endurance leads to a greater character, and that character leads to an even greater hope in the Lord because that hope does not disappoint. In fact, it's a greater hope where you trust God more no matter what it is you end up going through. Look, he says, we rejoice in these sufferings. But remember, we're not happy, clappy followers of Christ. We are authentic followers of Christ. So how does a follower of Jesus have a heart that is not full of complaining even when they're suffering? How does the follower of Jesus have a life that is full of thanksgiving even when the days are evil? The key word is, the key is that we simply don't just believe, but we also put these things into practice. In fact, earlier when Paul was talking about being unwise and being foolish, he actually wasn't talking about someone's intelligence level. What he was talking about when, when you actually know something and believe something and you properly put it in to practice. So here, right in this section, he actually gives some ways that no matter what it is you're going through, you can experience life to the full through thanksgiving because of Christ, because of what he's done. The first way that he shares here is that we simply need to address one another. He says to address one another in Psalms. And one of the ways that I want to give you to do that is to simply pray for people. He says to address one another in Psalms. Again, the Psalms are loaded with prayers. Uh, They're loaded with wisdom. So it's these words that we share with others that encourage others. And church, one of the challenges that we've been doing over the past few months is just to challenge you that we will be the church that when you say you're going to pray for somebody, you don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you go off and then binge watch whatever you want to on Netflix. But you actually pray for the person. And I would even challenge you that in that moment that you would pray out loud for them. Praying out loud changes the atmosphere. And when you're addressing one another, there's something about when you actually pray for somebody out loud that encourages them It encourages you, and it touches the heart of God. 
So we need to pray for each other and to put this into practice. Paul also says, look, you need to sing um, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I want to challenge you that you will put into practice singing out loud in church. Now, sometimes, like, I've seen it where some people are standing out there on Sunday morning when we're engaging in worship and their mouths are closed. And I, I, maybe, you're, maybe you're singing in your heart to the Lord. I get that, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. But Paul is saying, look, sing this to one another. Have you ever thought about that when you're singing, when you're worshiping the Lord, yes, you're, the number one goal is to glorify God. You want to glorify God and worship him because of everything that he's done. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us everything we need. He's given us salvation through Christ, and we want to bring glory to his name and to worship him. But have you ever thought about that? If you're singing, it's actually encouraging the people around you. There's something about when you open up your mouth and you're singing at the top of your lungs, even if it's bad, that encourages the people around you. Now, you're, you're not going to make the worship team. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now, okay? If you can't sing, you will not be up here on this stage. But what it will do is encourage your brothers or sisters around you. Church, I know I can't sing, even though I keep doing it. I know I can't sing, but man, I'm, I want to praise the Lord because of what he's done. And I want to challenge you as well that, again, you would put this into practice. And even if it's at the top of your lungs, that you would open your mouth and sing these spiritual songs and hymns to the Lord, but also to one another. But see, I think Paul also challenges us here. And the last thing, or one more thing, that he challenges us to do right here is also to memorize Scripture. We need to memorize Scripture because, again, remember to know the will of God. You have to know the word of God. And there's something about knowing God's word, not just, you know, from a a distance, but getting close and actually absorbing and learning God's word. In fact, how many of you would say that knowing God's word is important? Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. You think it's important? Okay. I think most hands went up in the room. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand this time, but when was the last time that you memorized God's word? I'm not just talking about, you know, VBS 20 years ago. I'm not talking about when you went to that one youth camp and they told you John 3.16 and you memorized that. But again, today, where your life is going, when was the last time that you internalized and memorized God's word? One of the things that we've been doing in our small group is that we've been trying to memorize more scripture together. And I was challenging our group, and we were picking these verses, and we were going through these series to memorize these verses out of the Bible. And church, I will admit to you that when I first went to challenge the group, I was going to tell them all the verses that I already knew to memorize so that I wouldn't have to memorize anything extra. But have you ever had God, you're trying to, you're trying to like encourage somebody to do something, to do the right thing, and then God kind of taps you on the show and be like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? What about you? This is something I want to do in you too as well. And so the verses that we've been looking at are verses that I have not memorized before, even at 42 years old, even after walking with Jesus now for 22 years. In fact, I'm going to share with you one of those verses right now. Okay, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Turn there in your Bible or scroll there on your phone. I want you to know this verse is not in my notes. 
It is not up there on that screen, my little cheap monitor I have back there, or up here on this screen. This hopefully is from memory, and I'm trying to remember it easily, and I'm telling you right now to turn to that passage in the Bible to see if I've actually got this verse memorized. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. And the, mag- and the victory and the majesty. Everything in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And you are to be exalted as head above all. You know, there's something about memorizing God's word and internalizing it in my heart. Church, I feel like that verse has been resting in my mind and helping my heart to overflow with thanksgiving in this season because it's a reminder that everything in heaven and in the earth is the Lord's. He is my provider. He's given me everything that I need. It's a reminder that everything in our lives should exalt him as Lord in heaven and on the earth. It's a reminder that he is great and powerful, and majestic, and victorious, that he is the Lord. And there's something about when you actually memorize God's word and internalize it that helps your heart to overflow with thanksgiving. Are you putting that into practice? Again, not 20 years ago, but today. Are you learning God's word? Are you letting it change you? Change your perspective to the point where you're overflowing with thankfulness. And the last one I'm going to give you as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back to the stage. The last one I give you is simply that we need to load our lives with thanking God always. You know, Paul says with everything, always, because of what the Lord has done, because of Christ, we need to give him thanksgiving always. So again, church, I asked this a little bit earlier in the service. What did you walk in here with today? We live in a broken world. But one of the things that followers of Jesus put into practice, and we don't don't forget that we are going through a trial. We don't ignore it and pretend like everything is perfect. But even in the trial, we can find joy. So whatever it is that you walked in here with today, are you thankful? Because there's going to be good seasons that come where you can worship the Lord, where your heart is overflowing because everything is up and to the right. There's going to be seasons that come where you are in so much pain, you wonder if God even loves you. I'm telling you, Paul says, look, in everything, always give thanks. So even today, whatever you walked in here with, can you give God thanks? Would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're sitting in this room today and maybe you, maybe you never trusted Christ, maybe you can't give him thanks because you never made the decision to follow him, but maybe today you've been looking at where your life is going. Is your life going in a direction that you want it to? But the most important question is, is your life going in the direction that Jesus wants it to? Let me just say that he loves you. And even today, no matter what it is you walked in here with, he wants to give you hope for the future. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you eternal salvation because of Christ. He wants to give you this eternal blessing by you trusting him. So if you know he's been calling you today, right where you are, would you just pray this simple prayer if you're ready to trust Jesus as Lord? Would you say, God, 
Today, I'm following you. Today, I'm surrendering my life to you. Today, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Jesus, I repent of that sin and I believe you bodily rose from the dead to forgive me and to give me life. And if you're sitting in this room today and is, is, is life this heavy for you right now? If you're someone in this room today and your life is just heavy right now, would you just raise your hand up so I can pray for you? You just feel like life is just heavy and the world is weighing on you. All right, you can put your hands down. And I want you to know that you are not alone in what you're going through. The Lord God is with you. He will not leave you nor abandon you. He is with you. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness that you show us. God, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you, God, that even if our lives have been going in a direction that you don't want them to go, God, that we don't even want them to go. That even right now, God, we can pause and we can see the truth. And it is the truth that sets us free. God, help us to learn your will so that in every season, God, we can be thankful but so, God, you can lead us through whatever it is that we're going through. God, help us to learn your will and to fill our lives with thankfulness because of what Christ has done. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's stand and sing one more song.